0: Welcome to the new and improved Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is now a place where we interview senior thought leaders in the SAP space across Australia and New Zealand, and the aim is to tap into their knowledge so we can pass on their insights to the listening SAP community. Please subscribe to the podcast and like, share and comment across Castos, YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify.
1: This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute, who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to donate to the cause, please click the link below.
0: But we're here today talking about the uh, SAP Talent Survey for, for 2023. Um, welcome to the Configure It Done podcast. This is oh. a special edition. We, we've oh. done this in season two, I think. So. We did. Yeah. And it was a
1: big hit. Yeah, we're yeah. back. I'm back. Back. you're welcome everyone
0: <laughs> so um i know we, uh, in the last uh, the last time we've done this um like you said it was a big hit and mm. people keep asking us about how's the market we know it's mm-hmm. changed quite a bit so um today we're gonna look yeah. at this uh sap talent service so Sarah, just remind everybody um, how we come up with these insights and, yes. and stats. Yeah. So
1: as it reads up there, it is an annual talent survey. We do it every year. And this is as unbiased as we could be gathering this data. It comes from a range. It comes from yourselves as candidates. We send it out to every single SAP coded candidate on our database, which I think is well above seven or 8,000 at this point now.
0: Yeah, I think it's 7,500 Yeah,
1: now, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, this is truly information right from the horse's mouth. It's from you guys. The questions, I will say, are from us, but often they reflect what kind of market we're operating in. Um, and we do it every year. Every year we get so many responses, and it gives such an amazing insight into what the SAP market's literally thinking of right this minute. Perfect.
0: Great. So before we dive in, Sarah, um, I'm sure of those 7,500 people, they, they know who you are. But, uh, do you just want to remind them and um, tell them what you do and um, yeah, how long you've been with Precision now? So I know we've got a, a yeah. special anniversary coming up soon. Well,
1: when this comes out, it will be my five fifth year at Precision. I am a senior SAP recruiter, um, and I'm sure I've spoken to hundreds, if not thousands, of you lovely people. So hello, thanks for having me back on.
0: Perfect. Okay. All right. So let's let's dive in. So the first insight we got and. We get asked this by clients a, a hell of a lot is yeah. um, you know, what motivates people to take a new role. Um, now, there's the insight. So obviously remuneration was still number one, but you know, it's not the only yeah, driver that, that people not. have. Um so yeah, do you wanna do you wanna go into, I guess, what is motivating people and what they look at?
1: So so I think a really common misconception that I definitely get from a lot of clients is um, we stumble on the salary. We just can't meet the expectation of what people are asking for at the moment. Which in some cases, sure, absolutely true. But like it says there, only 27% see salary as their main driver. Now, I suppose the important differentiation there is that that may be their number one, but number two, number three, number four are all some things that aren't costing anything. Um, Technology is still one of the biggest ones. So... For our clients out there, if you've got S4 HANA in your pipeline, if you're doing something interesting with your cloud platforms, that's a huge driver. Same with flexibility, not going to cost you anything. But if you are flexible in your work from home hours, in your even location and geography and where people can work for, these are all things that people are starting to look at as massive, massive contributions to the decision-making when considering a new role. So don't be... Mm, what's the word too defeatist. If you look at the salaries and think, Oh, there's just no way I can do it. Um, because the good news is that that only means that 27% of the market may not see you as their first choice. Mm. That's still a huge chunk of the market, depending on what you can offer that you are still attracting there.
0: Yeah. The the way, the way I I look at it is, um, obviously salaries have massively inflated over the last, Mm. last few years. Um, in line with with inflation, really, and we're in a, a a market where yes, we're candidate short, and yes, the the work um, demand is um, is almost punching above its weight in, in yeah, Australia. We do absolutely. punch it above our weight. Um, so SAP's partners are stealing resources of each other. So we're in this mad world where salaries are going up and up and up. But there's a few simple things that clients can do. First and foremost, definitely meet your meet your candidates at interview stage and really understand what their drivers are because. Like that says, only 27% are uh, the number one driver's remuneration. And again, the way I look at that is, like Sarah said, if you're investing in new technology, Mm -hmm. if you're flexible, something that's come up here as well is is brand. Um, People like to work for big, reputable companies or a Mm. a good brand. And there's certainly... Different things that clients can do to enhance that as well, especially with personal brand and getting themselves out there and speaking and, and networking and yeah. using um, social to increase their brand. Um, but if you've got all of that and you're flexible and you've got a good leadership team, you know you're, you're attracting you know nearly three, three, um, three quarters of the market. Mm. So yeah, there's definitely things that clients can do to um, yeah uh, attract talent.
1: Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, on to the next. Let's do it. Yeah. 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 I mean, this one honestly could have its own podcast. It could probably have its own whole week seminar. Um, four out of five people in the SAP talent pool are male. This is like the flip side to money. This is just a fact. Um, there's not a lot of flexibility out there, unfortunately. Um, a lot of our clients, I think, still maybe in the top five questions, they'll say, or well, not even for questions, but requests. could send me a woman that would be really great guys i'd love to i'd love to we're just not out there (laughs) (laughs) the reality is yeah it's it's still a very heavily male dominated pool we'll go into a few other factors as well as to what are some of the leading kind of traits i suppose in your average sap professional in australia but the harsh reality out there is um yes only four out of five um are men so that means you're dealing with a very, very small section of the market who are women. And specifically, if you ask for only women, not only is that a little bit problematic, but again, that's a topic for another time. But you are massively, massively, massively cutting out a massive chunk of the market.
0: How do we encourage more more women into the ecosystem? Yeah. This, this has been a problem for a long time
1: it has Um, been and i think that the um i think that the ways that we can address it are also actually really similar to how we can get like youth into the sap market because the reality is when sap dropped into australia 25 30 years ago there was already a very male dominated IT team um, and literally, I reckon what happened was just so many CIOs walked into their IT team and said, okay, guys, we're doing SAP now. You're now the SAP team. Those people have stayed in the market. Mm. 25 plus years ago, they're still kicking around. And our challenge now is, yeah, how are we going to start encouraging new people to come into the market? but so well, there's not that can- many
0: like big big programs anymore. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. So we're now, I think, dealing with a lot of stabilized SAP environments. There are fewer and fewer like brand new SAP clients coming onto the market that are real massive movers and shakers. But so something that you can do to start encouraging not just women into your talent pool, but also just youth in general, um, look to your existing teams. Look to the people who are maybe your super end users or are um, just people that are highly, highly aware and tuned into your business processes. Because more and more, we're seeing a lot of an overlap, I suppose, of SAP talent and then business engagement and taking people on that journey. So if you do see some people who aren't necessarily SAP experts, but have that base foundation of a great business process that relates to SAP maybe think to uplift mm. of who you currently have. I mean, you know, I could bang on all day about graduate programs, but sometimes the best people for the job are already in a similar role and you've just not really looked at them through a different perspective or a different light.
0: Yeah, I think I think the best um, clients through this period, um, over the next um, five years, uh, the best clients are the ones that are going to have graduate programs and the best mm. ones are going to master cross-skilling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think if anything has been proven in the last two years, the companies that have been adaptable have really thrived. And that's not just, you know, oh, we adapted with work from home flexibility. I think adaptable relates to every aspect of your business. If you've come across a really tough role to fill, you've not dug in and held out, you've assessed, oh, well, what are we actually looking for then? What's the business challenge that really needs to be approved? Or oh, well, maybe we can get rid of that requirement then that seems to not be so important. Adaptability isn't just your work from home flexibility. Adaptability now means so much more in the scheme of hiring.
0: I was thinking about this the other day on the same topic, but slightly different around cause our, t- our talent pool, um, unfortunately is an aging talent pool mm. as well. Um, And a lot of um, SAP people have done very well over the last um, two decades and are retiring early. And that's a lot of knowledge that's exiting the market. So schemes that I guess we could put in place or clients can put in place is encouraging people that are in retirement. How do we extract their knowledge and pass Mm -hmm. it on to the next next generation? So I think there's a real opportunity there to, to leverage some some of those highly skilled um, experts that are yeah. um, are retiring as existing
1: well. super users even business analysts who've maybe done a lot of functional work and they're interested in dipping their toe into functional configuration have some chats with your existing team and I think that's probably one of the not easiest but the most accessible ways to start getting some new talent mm. male female young mm. old whatever but we need new talent in this SAP market. It's definitely be a biggest challenge coming think, up.
0: I think mentoring, yeah. Yeah, it comes to massively, life. massively.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. Okay. Let's um, let's move on. I, I think Sarah, there's a there's a stat on there around there is. experience as well. Um, and this will give you. Uh, and I was speaking about the number of years experience in the in the market, but this is just a clear indicator. Um, mm. So. That like Nearly half of the market has more than 20 years and of e- experience. And that is massive. Yeah, That
1: is massive. Something else I think that we've been really struggling with is um, candidates who don't feel attacked, who um, have 20 plus years experience um, and rightly so in some situations say, well, I deserve to be paid for that 20 plus years of experience. I bring so much of a wealth of knowledge, but in reality, are you going for a junior role? And are your responsibilities not necessarily aligning to someone who's going to have 20 plus years of experience? I know that's a really interesting conundrum that we've started to face now where, you know, just want a short-term contract, maybe six months, whatever, just see through your twilight years. Um, But it's a junior role. It doesn't require high-level thinking. It doesn't require $1,400 a day. Mm. Maybe it only requires $900 a day. From a candidate point of view, also having that adaptability and flexibility, but also awareness to say, well, okay, if this was a senior solution architect role, I will charge what I think I'm owed for that role, 1300 whatever it is. But if it's just going to be a junior consultant and you're doing BAU support activities, I'm genuinely curious as well to know this as well. Does it make sense to still be charging twelve to $1,300 mm. a day?
0: Interesting. Interesting. From a, um, from a client perspective, um you know, it's it's very challenging and difficult at the minute to get budgets approved mm. um, to to fund this work that you've got um, you've got coming up. Um, a lot of the, a lot of what, a lot of what clients are doing when we we're, we're taking these job descriptions are saying that um, we just want a junior person because it's going to be cheaper, yeah. and that's a very easy kind of solution to come up with straight away. But the reality is, it's actually harder to find junior people to, to do the role if anything I'd an want to charge more <laughs>
1: <laughs> when I get a junior oh we only need someone with two to three years experience I'm just like oh god it's a harder find so it's a harder
0: search it's, it's definitely more uh, more work that's uh, that's required so I suppose you know keep that keep that in mind mm. um, and yeah if you've got a piece of a piece of work like some of the feedback that we're getting sometimes from clients is this candidate we interview has got too much experience so you we know,
1: think they're going to get bored?
0: I think they're going to get bored, yeah, so um, I think flexibility on both sides yeah, is, is needed, and thinking outside, outside the box, there is never an a grade, a grade candidate, yeah, and there's never an A grade job, um, so it's a case of what can you be flexible mm. with? So from the client side, um, you know certain skills or someone um, doing a role that they may have done 10, 15 years ago just to get the job done. Um, and from the uh, from the candidate side again touching on what Sarah said earlier being being adaptable um, yeah, to, I think to the opportunity
1: flexibility is key really for this whole discussion
0: exactly exactly all right um, what are we on to next?
1: sixty percent of the market were interviewed sixty seven sorry of the market were interviewed virtually for their last role.
0: great topic.
1: this was massive for us this huge was topic. huge yeah. yeah so um like i'm I've Obviously, the world has changed. We don't need to know. We know what it was. But the world has changed and a big change that looks to be here to stay is an introduction of virtual mm. workspaces into everyday life. Something that we saw that was massively, massively affected by that is the hiring process and interviews. So um, I'm sure Jay won't mind us sharing, but Precision two quarters ago had a huge huge problem with dropouts and what dropouts is basically is um, a candidate has been put forward for a process they've interviewed sometimes three or four times they've received an offer great they've signed and accepted the offer fantastic due to some unforeseen circumstance now not so unforeseen before their start date they drop out meaning they do not start and something's changed in their situation. They either stay where they currently are, or they've accepted something else. This was a huge problem for us as a mm. business. Yeah, and one thing that we very quickly identified because this was kind of like a oh we've got we've got a problem here. We need to start we need to start addressing it. Um, one thing that we identified was the vast majority, and maybe Jay knows some of the numbers, but the vast majority of those dropouts <laughs> did not interview once face to face. Eighty-seven percent. Yeah. 87 percent yeah it was massive um and i think that for us as a business and we've now passed it on to a lot of our clients we found there was just a lot of window shopping going on i think that virtually what that has affected us is when you're just on a teams meeting it's so easy to disassociate well well,
0: if you think about an interview say five years ago ten years Mm. ago you, you're, putting on, you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're putting on your, your, your best clothes, you're getting yeah. prepped. You're checking um, the
1: length, the distance to distance the company. This the
0: journey and you're, you're actually doing, physically doing that journey and you're getting yourself psyched up for, for the interview. Um, you, you do the interview mm-hmm. um, face-to-face and you're, you're meeting and greeting new people, which can be a very anxious task yeah. as well. And um, and then it was almost like a, a Q&A type, uh, type session about your credentials and yeah. your experience You'd be um, physically
1: sitting across the desk with maybe three or four people you've never met before. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's
0: a huge, huge ordeal. Um, and then you you sit there and you're waiting for waiting for feedback, and you get that feedback, and if successful, you may go in, uh, do you know, you repeat that process again mm. and meet different stakeholders in the company, and and it goes on and on and on until you get to the offer. Whereas in a in a virtual world, you could have four interviews in a day and get more and be sat there in your pajamas and no one yeah. will know yeah. and you know you it's just it's more of a volume type of um, task as opposed to getting you know really in depth and really understanding the business and really understanding the culture being immersed in mm. in the culture and really understanding the people that are looking to hire you and, and vice versa so it is completely completely changed and I feel that we've got a massive opportunity and clients have got a huge opportunity to to meet their candidates that they mm-hmm. are um, looking to hire, yeah, and and bring that personal touch back, yeah, because the va- the vast majority are still in that virtual world um, and still struggling to to source talent. So it's a really really good good point. But the message I would say to clients is yeah, definitely meet your candidates at interviews. Yeah,
1: stage. I um told that exact story to a global FMCG, one of my good clients. And they shared a really similar challenge. They said, we've interviewed all sorts, like truck drivers. We just did a Teams interview and they're not even showing up. Like, what are we doing wrong? And I said, well, how many did you meet face-to-face? And they're like, obviously none of them. And I said, maybe tweak that little thing, see what difference that makes. Mm. I met them again five weeks later and the national talent manager yeah singled that specific piece of advice out she said thank you so much sarah we did that and we've not had a dropout since it's made such a huge difference and i think honestly it comes down to a level of commitment it is a commitment to put on good clothes that day it is a commitment to leave your house plan wherever it is you're going you got to tell your boss you're going somewhere you need to say okay well i need to leave maybe two hours out of my day to do this interview it is truly a level of commitment. People who aren't that fussed aren't going to do it mm. and it's that easy. it's that simple, there yeah, it's go. massive. all
0: right um, this is a good good topic around um, counter offers, and yeah, we've seen that people that take a counter offer are more likely to to leave in the next next twelve months. Mm-hmm. Um, so any views or insights around yeah around that Sarah?
1: I think that there's always a reason you're talking to me. If you're a candidate and you're genuinely just like, oh no, tell me a bit more, tell me a bit more. There's a reason why you're talking to me. And I think that's often forgotten. There's a reason why you're looking right now. And it's really easy to forget that reason when you're thrown every possible band-aid just at the last minute. Mm. You know, you've walked into the office, you've got that butterfly stomach in your feeling. And you're just like, okay, I have to tell my boss. I have to tell my boss, this is it. I'm going, <laughs> two weeks notice, four weeks notice. And then all of a sudden, everything is like rose colored glasses. No, 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 Sort your right out. no, 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 no. That stakeholder, don't worry about that stakeholder. I'll take them off your hands. But ultimately there's a reason that you talk to us. I think that that's probably the most important thing for people to remember when being faced with a counteroffer because it's really hard to say no. It is hard to say no to a counteroffer. Mm. You've worked with this person for a long time. Hopefully, you've got a good relationship with them. It's hard to let people down. But I think going into that conversation, try to remind yourself almost, why am I leaving?
0: Yeah, it's about taking a step back, mm. almost writing down why you are talking yeah. to others. Yeah, yeah. Um, or even entertaining. Um, even if you've been headhunted, why why are you entertaining it? Write down the reasons. Mm-hmm. What's the challenges you've got with your current role? Write down the reasons. And then if you are offered um, a counter-offer, then take money or remuneration off a table or take that promotion off a table and have a look at those challenges. Have your challenges been answered? Mm. If they have, great. Go ahead. If they're not, then, like I said, it's just a reminder of why um, you're entertaining other opportunities.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So, yeah, this insight here, um, the data shows here that very rarely do contractors move to permanent and permanent move to to contracts. And uh, after doing this role for nearly ten years and speaking to thousands uh, of candidates, I am a true believer that once you're permanent employee you're always permanent um and once you're contract you are always contract now obviously um the normal path to contracting is becoming an expert in your field and that takes um you know a long time 10 to 15 years before moving into moving into contract but typically once you're a contractor you're always a contractor and once Mm. you're a perm you're always a perm now we did see a big transition in um during covid Um, and the reason being was people were looking for stability yeah um, longevity and a lot of contractors did move to um, permanent Mm -hmm. but since then what do you think has happened those contractors (laughs) that went to perm they're now on the phones and looking to move into to contract and the reality is we've seen 65% of our placements are are back in the, the contracting yeah contracting space
1: yeah yeah I mean I'm I'm a pretty good analogy to that During COVID, I was a contract perm recruiter. Um, But in my core, I know contracts just for me, it's a very different mindset. And when I first started recruitment, I struggled to understand. I was just like, well, it's a job. Is it not a job? It's exactly the same. But it's not. The conversations that you have, your um, perspective on a business and a team and a culture can really wildly differ. So... If you are finding yourself in a situation where you're thinking, oh, I've been, you know, perm for 10, 15 years, but I'm seeing a lot of my colleagues or I'm seeing a lot of my friends go back to contracting after COVID. Before making that jump, really assess whether it is the right change for you and why are you making that change? And also really important, particularly for those going for permanent to contract, check with your family first because it's also a very different process there.
0: The other thing I would, I'd notice as well: um, permanent employees tend to have um, a lot of different different skill sets. Um, mm. They get into different areas of the business. They get more exposure to different different yep. projects, and um, they have a broad like a broader skill set. Um, very very difficult for them to then transition into a contract because the demands we get from a mm. client is a, a true specialist in one area. Yeah. Um, so, but again, if you are thinking of transitioning to, to contract. Um, you have to understand what your area of expertise is and get very, very good at that. Cause the reality is you'll be coming up against two or three people that have been contracting specialists mm-hmm. in that space for multiple years. And so honing
1: um, that skill. Yeah, Yeah. yeah exactly. Absolutely.
0: Exactly. Let's go over to new opportunities. Um, we get asked that question. How is the, how is the market? Number um, one question
1: at the moment. Yes,
0: it is the number one question. And, the the answer to that we just finished writing the Q three report and that goes into how many people have moved move vacancies, and before before COVID like two and a half um, years ago um, we're around twelve hundred people a quarter Australia wide. During the last two years we're up at two and a half two and a half thousand so it actually crazy. doubled. So it was a boom and we haven't seen a boom like that for for years. I haven't seen anything like it. It was crazy. Last last quarter um just before before Christmas um, actually went back down to, to 1200 which is what we consider to be a, a normal market so there's opportunities mm. there um and that's highlighted by 22 percent of the market are actually getting contacted weekly about new opportunities yeah okay. and then this quarter just gone it's back over the 2 2000 mark so the market is good I can't see it moving backwards because of the mm. um, cutoff on uh, t- in 2020. Um, seven cut off for SAP with supporting ECC. So companies have to do some sort of a, a project um, yeah, before before 2027. I can't see it moving backwards, but what I am seeing now is budgets from um, clients are being hard, harder and harder to approve. Headcount's getting tough to, to get on board. Companies that have spent a lot and invested a lot in their, in their people and hiring over the last two years maybe trimming the fat a little bit and looking to do more work with, with less, less people. So there's a, there's a bit of cautiousness there, um, but there's still a lot of opportunity.
1: Yeah. I think the important takeaway from that fact is I definitely hear a lot of um, panic on the phone when, you know, oh, I'm not getting as many calls as I was getting last, this time last year. I really encourage people to reflect on just how many calls you were getting last year. It was not normal. It was a complete anomaly. So to compare what we're going through now and where the market is now, like Jay said, it's still a really, really good market. What you're comparing it to was an exceptional market in so many different ways. So the bar just got lifted for two and a half, for like 18 months.
0: I guess what, what happens when there's a boom in the market and people have ample choice? People have the luxury to mm. be picky. And we saw it. So, for instance, they might want to work from home five days a week. Yeah. Um, they might want flexibility so they can pick up the kids from school. Or, they might want um,
1: 20, 30K more than what they were they currently might getting. 20,
0: 30K more or, you know, they've got um, the ability to be picky. Yeah. And when, when the market comes off or clients um, are struggling with budgets or, you know, there's opportunities out there now where people can't be picky and people are then not moving forward with that mm. with that opportunity so yeah as the market gets harder or tighter there's less choice and that's all we're you know that's all we're witnessing at the minute mm. it's it's less choice you know companies now mandating a couple of days a week in yeah. the office or yeah. you know two or three days a week in the office where on the candidate side the majority would want fully fully remote you see there's a there's a conflict there and those candidates that are not flexible or not open they're the ones that are saying oh there's a lack of opportunity out mm. there mm. so um, it's very it's, it's a very very logical you know way to to look at it
1: yeah it just comes back to adaptability and flexibility again exactly on both sides if you are going to be rigid the choices of course will be less
0: and that's both candidate and yeah it's side, for both
1: yeah. but the more flexible you are the more you approach any hiring process candidate or client with an open mind the easier that process will be like it's it is honestly guaranteed hand-on-heart they are the easiest ones to to go through because otherwise it's just it's heartbreak all around and you spend so much time like it's it's such a process
0: exactly yeah the the clients that are doing well through through this period they're Treating everybody the same by treating them differently. Yeah. And every interview process, every individual person, they're, they're treating differently. Mm-hmm. And that's how you, to be successful in this market.
1: Yeah. Awesome.
0: All right. Brilliant. Thank you for coming on.
1: No worries. Thanks so, for having me.
0: But um, yeah, please, please reach out to SAP at precisionsourcing.com.au if you've got any other questions. Yeah. Um, or, or you want to do a s-
1: deep dive yeah. into this. There's way more that we could have talked about. Truly, there are some topics that we could just hours, hours and hours worth of discussion. So if there's anything that you've been struggling with from a hiring point or from a job seeking point, please feel free to reach out, more than happy to help. Thank you.
0: Please like, share, comment and subscribe to the Configure It Done podcast.